To this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225 274 1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. to talk once again along the thought of believing in God, believing in God, truly knowing God. I want you to hear those words, truly knowing God, because God desires for us to know him in such an intimate way. And the sole purpose of this series has been to get people to a greater knowledge of God in their life. Not to be happy with where they're at. Come on, some of us have been saved many years. Great. But you know what? Unfortunately, we've lost a lot of the excitement and the buzz and the the passion of what we had. And the zeal. We need to get that back. But what we've been also identifying as we've looked at knowing God is the buts that we live by. What do we mean the buts that we live by? You know, we say we know God, but. We trust in God, but. We believe that God is able, but. We've all got so good at living by the buts instead of living in the belief and the knowledge. We got so good at living in the excuses and the reasons perhaps why not. And we can sometimes justify or at least try to justify some of those things. But in the process of it all, We've lost the thought that we can truly know God. And that's what we want to know. We want to know God in an incredible way. Because if we really knew God, these other things would not exist. Come on, if we really knew God, we wouldn't struggle with these issues and things that we've been discussing. Why? Because if we really knew Him, how would they exist in our lives? Because, why? We would place more faith in God than we would those things. And we would see God come through. It's so sad, we've said this many times in this series, it's so sad when our enemy knows the power and the ability of God in a greater capacity than we do as children of God who are supposed to know God. And so it's a challenge for us who call Him Lord and those who live for Him. We've got to stop allowing our circumstances and situations to call the shots. Instead, we need to learn to build our life on faith and trust and hope in Him. Come on, we can believe in God. Come on, I said we can believe in God. Whatever circumstance and situation you need, you can believe God. And God can take care of it for you. Do I hear an amen? Believing in God tonight, this is the subject. Believing in God, but trusting more in money. We say we believe in God but yet we trust so often more in money. It's amazing in church, every time or most of the time that you mention money in church, it seems that people's guards just jump straight up. It's like people build this, oh, here we go again. This is the, and it's almost like people get defensive 
when you start to talk about money. Here's the way I feel when people start talking about giving in the house of God. It excites me. And you may say, why does it excite you? Because I live in the blessings because I know what it is to give to God and I know the excitement. When people say, oh, church is all about money, that's because all they hear. Because you don't have a problem with hearing about giving when you're a giver. Come on, you don't have a problem with hearing about money and giving in the house of God and tithing when you're a giver because you can shout amen because you know the rewards and the benefits that come as a result of giving to God. I want you tonight, if you can, to grab out of your pockets, your purses, wherever it may be, if you've got some dollar bills or whatever, I want you to grab some money tonight. A dollar bill, a coin, if you're not really rich, just grab coin, whatever it may be. I want you to grab that tonight because I want us to have a look at something. Don't worry, folks, I'm not taking up another offering so you can bring out those hundred dollar bills now. Come on, the offering is passed and you all brought out those $1 bills. So now you can bring out the big notes because it's just for you to look at. Come on, grab a coin. Grab a note. Okay? There is something that every coin and every note has in common tonight. There's an inscription that is written upon every coin and every dollar bill that you would bring out And look today and see. And what is the inscription that you will read or see upon those things? Say it with me. In God we trust. In God we trust. Here's the question. Is that really the case in our lives? Is that really the case in our lives or is that which we are holding in our life, has that come the God in what we trust? What are you saying, Pastor Philip? Is it really God in whom we trust? Or has money become the God that you and I trust in our lives? Oh, we're in church, so we've got to say it. Are we trusting God, Pastor? But our actions show us what's really going on. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. Jesus said these words. These people draw near to me with their mouths and they honour me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. Jesus said, people in church are great at giving lip service. Oh God, I trust in you. You're the greatest. You're the Lord of my life. Wherever you want me to go, God, I'll go. Whatever you want me to be, I'll be. Come on, we've got so good at giving the lip service. But too often it's something that is said and never done. There's a saying of a wise old man that I know and he says these words, after all is said than done, there's more said than there's ever done. I quote Jim Huss. But how often do we offer just a lip service to God? And we say, God, I trust in you. But when it comes down to it, we trust in money. We trust in these things instead of God. Why is it easy? Come on, talk to me tonight. Where's Bishop? Are you going to come and help me, Bishop? Can you help me again tonight? Bishop is running up here. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, give him a round of applause. He is in the house. He is in his house. The question I want to ask you all today is, why do we find it so much easier 
to trust in money many times than we do trust in God. And don't get all super spiritual on me and say, well, you know what, that's not my problem. Because I believe that's where we all are, if not all the time, we are many times. Why is it easier to trust sometimes in money than it is to trust in God? Come on, who's going to go first? Wow, they're over here. You go that way and I'll go this way. How's that? Come on, Mr. Arnold. Uh, Because money is tangible. You can see it. And it doesn't take much faith because it's right there in front of you. Good answer. Immediate gratification. Immediate gratification. Who's next? Mr. That, w- that was the same thing I was going to say. It's, it's accessible immediately where you never know whether God's going to answer. He will answer, but in his time. Okay. Okay. So really what we're saying is it's a question of almost control. If we've got it in our hands, we like to try and control the situation is really what we're saying. Where God is out of our control. And But one thing we can know is God's train is very seldom early, but it's never late. Never late. Steve-O. Hit me, man. I uh, would like to say that uh, I can't believe I'm getting ready to do this. I got a hundred dollar bill in my purse, and I'm going to give it to the charity. Thank you, man. That is awesome. That is awesome. Steve said he's got a hundred dollars, and he's going to make a pledge and give it to the church. It's awesome, awesome. So why do we find ourselves trusting in money more than God? Anyone else got anything else? Anything? How hard is it to trust in God when a bill is due? Come on. How hard is it to trust in God when something is needed? Anyone? Come on. I've had a real hard time with that this year because business has been really slow and I keep seeing taking money out of the savings account to put into the business instead of going, thank you, God, that I have money in the savings account to put in the business. You know, and it, it's, it really is. It's, it's, uh, it, it can just be a major struggle. It can just take every bit of your mind and your attention off of everything else. It just distracts your thinking. Anyone else got anything, Mr. Haas? You know, really the problem is uh, money is too accessible to us. When we're broke and down and out, God's all we got, and we, we, we'll go to him, but... For most part, this country has just got it way too easy. We've got this plastic in our pocket that we can always satisfy whatever that need is. Instead of asking God, we just pull out the plastic and we run up a big bill. Come on, But it's hard, isn't it, sometimes when those bills are looming down that we trust more in the dollar bill than what we do in God. How about this question? What makes us doubt God's ability in our need? What makes you doubt God's ability to meet your need? Bishop, are you with me or what, man? When a person can't wait on God, on doing anything, all you have to do is ask. It's hard sometimes, isn't it, to wait on God and just really trust Him? I think it's the waiting period. The waiting period. It's tough, huh? Especially when you're serving a God that says a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So if God says, just wait a second, how many knows that's a long time? We may have to wait. But come on, we can look around us today and we can joke and we can laugh about it, but the sad reality is we've all admitted really in some way tonight. And when I say we've all admitted, because for everyone who spoke tonight, we all wanted to say the same things because we're all in the same boat and we're all facing the same things. We like something that it's, we tell ourselves or convince ourselves it's tangible and therefore we can grab a hold of it. But yet we begin to believe that God is not the same way. So when we begin to say, well, God, you're not tangible and we can't grab a hold of you, really we're doubting God's ability and his presence in our life. 
And I know that money we can grab in our hand and we can hold it and we know it's there. But how many have ever felt the presence of God without a shadow of doubt that you know that he is there? Come on. How many have felt almost a tangible presence of God that he's right there? How many times do we perhaps sell out that feeling for an immediate fix? Because that's all the world is. It's an immediate fix. It's never something that's going to fully satisfy. Turn with me, if you were, to Luke chapter 12 and verse 34. Luke 12 and verse 34. Luke 12 and verse 34 says these words. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The scripture has been used so many times in reference to money. And really, its direct reference is not to money, but it's more than just that. But money can fit into this too. But I like what the New Living Translation adds. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But it also says, it says this, there your thoughts will be also. It's not just your heart. But your thoughts will be there. Can we be honest and really ask ourselves this? By the way I live, am I really treasuring God in my life? The actions of my life, the way I choose to live, ask yourself this question. Am I really treasuring God? Is God the priority? That's what we're trying to say, the treasure that which is important, is God the priority of my life or has my treasure become the things of this world? Where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. If money has become my treasure, the Bible says that's where my heart would be. If material things has become my treasure, the Bible says my heart will be there. If my desire to succeed in life and get a name for myself is the treasure, then that's where my heart is going to be. Has the treasure of this world become that which is of most importance to us? The trust of money is very subtle in its attack. Very subtle. We see of Satan, he was depicted as being a serpent who it says was the most cunning and the most subtle. Satan is subtle. His plan, his purpose is very subtle because if it wasn't, it would be so obvious that we'd turn around and run a mile. But he doesn't treat us like that. The love of money or money becoming our God, it's the trust in that is very subtle. It's very slowly but surely works upon us. And it mainly works in two ways. This is the main subtle way that money trusts, the trust that we place in it, how it creeps into our lives. Number one, money convinces us that it can bring happiness to our life. If only I had this, I would be happy. How do you get that? You have to have money. If only I could be this, if I could just earn more money, come on, if my job, if I could just get a pay rise, then I would be happy. You can't buy happiness. If you had all the money in the world and you and I were able to buy anything and everything that you ever wanted, would you be happy? Come on, would you really be happy? 
A lot of us have probably got a wish list. You know, if I had some extra money, man, a Porsche Cayenne would be really nice. Well, if I had a real dream, it would be a Range Rover Sports or something like that. You see, Pastor P in a Range Rover Sports. But you know what? At the end of the day, those things just don't matter. Because, you know, you can get the Range Rover Sports and you're driving down feeling real and big and bad about yourself and you see someone pull up beside you with a newer model. They've got bigger rims. They've got nicer, nicer stuff and, and all these kind of things. You know, I think the answer is, if we had all the money in the world, would it make us happy? I think we could only say for a period of time. There may be temporary happiness. We may feel good for a while, but it's going to wear off. And the reason why, as we just said, is there's always going to be something more. There's always going to be something more because we can't put a tag on happiness. But it's so subtle and it tells us if we could just get more, if we could just work a little bit harder, if we could get this, if we could do this, then we can have this and we're going to be happy. And we can... Can you see how subtly it becomes the God of our lives? And it becomes something that we treasure after. And therefore our hearts follow. The second subtle attack that Satan uses in the realm of money is this. If I have enough, then there'll be security for my future. If I can just have enough, then money or enough money brings security with it. There's a commercial on TV where they ask, what's your number? You see that commercial when people are walking around with a number of one million whatever something and... There's a guy that's cutting his hedge or something and the guy says, what's that? And he says, that's my number. And What's your number? It's a number that you think, if I could have that number, then I could retire. I can have security. And life would be really good. But as I began to think about that, if I have enough, then I'll be happy and there'll be security. But there's another thought, isn't there? What is enough? What is enough? What we may think is enough today, next month, it's not going to be enough. And years to come, it's not going to be enough. We get so caught up. If I can just have that and if I could just do all these kind of things, wow, that would be absolutely incredible. More money does not equal more security. In fact, it can often produce the absolute opposite. The more money you have, the more terrified and the more in fear you are. You can't sleep because you're worried about your investments and you're worried about this. I remember my Uncle Graham who came here. He probably came here three years ago. He's an uncle of mine and he is my real uncle. I need to make some calls to him. He sold his businesses for over $200 million. He had 21 car dealerships and he sold them for over $200 million. Hey, Uncle Graham. This is your non-profit organization nephew. But I'll never forget something he said one night because people were in awe of him as he was talking about the entrepreneur experience, about about making the right decisions and the choices and stuff. And he said something that I've never forgot. He said, people look at me and think, wow, if I could only have his money, life would be great. He said, can I be really honest with you? He says, with the more money I have made, the greater responsibility I have and the more headaches... I now have to deal with. He said, for every piece of property that I have, I have to purchase insurance on it. I have to make sure it's maintained and upkept and I'm worried about people breaking in and stealing or the cars I have, whatever it may be. His answer shocked so many people as they really began to think, hold on a second, that's true. 
There's greater responsibility. And oftentimes, the more money we have, the more money it costs to keep and to maintain. My cousin Melissa, for a while, worked for a lady in Atlanta. True story. She invented some kind of device, or a company did, that they sold to Bell South. She made millions and millions and millions. My cousin Melissa's job, full-time job, 40 hours a week, was to maintain all her salaries of all her employees, to maintain all her properties, to make sure her pilot was paid, to make sure the the boat captain was paid because she had her own yacht. She had all these people. They were on standby 24 hours a day. Her job was to pay the cleaners in Florida, in Breckenridge, all these places she had to maintain and make sure that every property, there was someone full-time that their whole job was just maintaining their affairs. And she was just one. I mean, there was all the people then that she employed in those other places. And we think, wow, that's great. That's great. Our faith or our trust in money instead of God has brought into a, has been brought into a whole new perspective, I believe, recently with the state of our economy. The faith that we've had in this nation as a, a rich nation and the job securities and just everything, our faith that we've placed in that instead of God has really been brought into a new perspective. Many people's worlds have crashed around them that they never thought would. It's really proven to us as a nation and also as individuals how much we have trusted in the wrong God. How misguided we have been by worshipping the wrong God. How quickly we've lived outside of our means and stretched ourselves financially beyond what we should. How we've tried to keep up with the Joneses. We've tried to have all these bigger, better, newer, finer, grander, more awesome things. And I think it's safe to say that probably money is the number one competitor that wants to steal our hearts. Let's read this passage of Scripture tonight dealing with error and greed. It comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 through 10. I'm going to read a few verses tonight. It's dealing with error and greed. It says these words, 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with goodness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which comes envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Basically what he's saying here is, if anyone comes to you with anything else apart from the Word of God, all it is is revelry, evil suspicions, envy, strife, disputes. In other words, if it's error they're coming with, all it's going to result in is error in your life. But it goes on to say, verse 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money 
is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and piercing themselves through with many sorrows. I like what it says in verse 8. And having food and clothing with these, you shall be content. We're living in a society, in a world today, that what is real contentment? It's almost like you can't be happy with where you're at because someone else is getting something grander and greater. So the pressures are there. The the competitor against our heart is trying to steal away our desires and our longings for all these kind of things. And the key verse there says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, we've got to watch how this verse is quoted because so many misquote it and they say that money is the root of all evil. Money isn't a sin. Listen to me, money's not a sin. Having money is not a sin. And money can be used for good things as well as bad things. Money's not just bad. It can be used for bad, but it can be used for good. The Bible doesn't say money's the problem. The Bible says that the love of it literally worshipping it, setting our affections upon it. The love of money is the sin because the love of it leads to other abuses and other sins in our lives. In the words of Jesus, which I believe there's no better words to quote, Jesus says these words, you can't serve two masters. Come on, Jesus says it, you can't serve two masters. It's Luke 16 verse 13, he says, no servant can serve two masters. That either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God or the things of this world. We're going to talk more about mammon in the next three weeks and we're going to explain it a little bit greater. But mammon is basically the spirit of things that is upon this world. The things that Satan has his hand on. Not the things of God. And I believe that you can see that we can place our families under the spirit of mammon instead of the blessings and the spirit of God. But that's a whole other message. But God says these words, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. So we either love God or we love money. We cannot serve the two. You may think you can. But listen to me, God says you can't. End of argument. I mean, if you want to fight, pick an argument, don't pick one with God. I mean, because if he said it, come on, it's done. Oh, I can serve too. Oh, Pastor Philip, I can believe in God and our money's not... You know what? We've got to be very careful. We've got to be very careful because the love of it. In Christian circles, many Christians have convinced themselves that God exists to help them acquire more money and more things. They preach it from the pulpit that God's purpose and God's existence is that you're going to be blessed. You're going to drive a better car. You're going to have a better house. You're going to have all these things because God died that you can have stuff. We laugh about it, but perhaps we should cry because it's such a heresy that has been taught today. They label it with a little slogan that goes, money cometh. You may not have money in the bank, but write a check and write on the memo part, money cometh. And believe that money's coming. You know what? Money does cometh to those who worketh. And to those who are a good steward with what God has given them. 
That's a dangerous prosperity gospel message which is out there. And listen to me, it's a part truth. And if it's a part truth, it's a complete lie. Come on, if it's not the whole truth, it's not a part truth. Come on, you can't have part truth. It's either the truth or it's not. There's a part truth in that, but that part makes it a complete lie. A complete lie. So, Pastor Philip, you're telling me that God wants me to be broke and destitute. I, I, I've never heard myself say that. I don't think I said that. In fact, I know I didn't say that, so don't put words in my mouth. You must understand this, that God wants His children to be blessed. Do I hear an amen? But there are numerously more blessings that don't have a dollar sign attached to them than blessings that do. Put a price tag on your health. That's a blessing of God, isn't it? Health. You can't buy health. Your money can only go so far. You can buy the surgeries and all that, but at the end of the day, hey, you can't buy your health. You're either healthy or you're not. Put a price tag on all your family being saved and in the house of God. And that's one of the greatest blessings I think as a parent you could ever have is seeing your kids. Kelly and I were so proud at the youth camp seeing three of our kids up on the platform leading praise and worship at youth camp. I mean, as a parent, you cannot be prouder than that. Maddie on the drums, Brittany on the guitar, Hannah singing. Couldn't be prouder than that. I know how my dad feels now when he comes and he sees me preach. My dad always says to me, my Uncle Derek says to me the same words every day, I'm so proud of you. I know what they mean. But there's no greater thing to see your children and your family being used in the house of God. You may not have any money to your name and people may say you've got nothing, but you've got that. You tell me how blessed you are. You see, what's taking place in our lives is it's not the money. It's not all those things. It's not that God doesn't want us to have those things. God will give them to us if we can handle those. But we've got to watch that that's not God. I've heard this before, and it's so true. A saying, if God can get it through you, He'll get it to you. If God can get it through you, He'll get it to you. Another said it this way, if you can keep it out of your heart, God will keep it in your wallet. Think about that. If you can keep money out of your heart, God will bless you life. And he'll keep giving to you. In the Bible, there are two examples that I just want to talk about quickly tonight when it comes to this kind of subject that we're dealing with tonight. First, there was a rich man. You can begin to turn there. It's in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. There's a rich man. In fact, he's known as a rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus these words. And this is in my terminology. I've just re-put this in my words. But this is what he says to Jesus in Matthew 19, 16. He says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus says to him, that's real simple, buddy. Keep the commandments. And Jesus says, do this, do this, do this, do this. The man's reply was to Jesus, well, that's easy, Jesus. I've done that all my life. I've done that since a kid. I've done all those things. What else is there? Listen to the reply that Jesus gives back to him, verse 21. Jesus says to him in Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. 
Jesus says to him, go give everything away that you have. Sell it all. And give it to those who are down and out destitute. And come and follow me. Now you better realize that Matthew 19, 21 is not a commandment for every one of us as followers of God. Jesus is not saying we need to go sell everything that we have. In fact, really, as you read this story and you understand what's been saying, Jesus wasn't really expecting this young man to do this either. But what Jesus was doing was, he was using this as an illustration to prove a point to this young man, and that was this. He hadn't kept all the commandments. In fact, he hadn't even gone beyond commandment number one, which is what? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He hadn't kept the commandments. Why? Because he had allowed wealth to become an idol in his life. Jesus identified that. Jesus saw that. And an idol of wealth had become. That's what Jesus was saying. He said to him, go and sell everything. Jesus was testing his heart, his spirit, his motive, what was inside. Jesus was challenging him. Choose your master. What's your God? What do you serve? And you know what the Bible says that that young man left sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. He wasn't willing to serve God. In other words, with all he had. A lot of us point the finger and say, man, that's ridiculous. He rejected God like that and walked away. Huh? It's amazing how we spend more on our pleasures than what we do give into the house of God. We're no better so many times. Now here's all the disciples sitting around and they're witnessing what's happened. They heard what was said and they witnessed what was done. So Jesus just like continues the conversation with them. The guy's gone, but Jesus keeps speaking to the disciples. In verse 23 and verse 24, Jesus says to them, Assuredly I say unto you that it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When he's talking about a camel going through the eye of the needle quickly, at night time when they would shut the gates, they would have a little gate or a little opening in the massive gate or they would have an opening with with a pole or a pillar in the middle of it. And what that meant was that a camel could not go through or an animal could not go through with its load upon its back. So at night time, an enemy couldn't sneak in with all their armament or someone couldn't rob and take such a... They had to strip the camels completely down, put the camel in, then carry the product or whatever through and do it. That was known as the eye of the needle. The eye of the needle. But the disciples didn't get it because the disciples said, hold on a second, Jesus. How can any of us be saved? There's no way that anyone can be saved if we have to give everything and and it's easier. What's the deal, Jesus? Unfortunately, so many times we don't get it either. And why don't we get it? Because we don't want to let go. We don't want to let go so many times of the idols that stand in between us and God and therefore we don't get it. We don't understand it. And so many times we can read verses like that and kind of skip over it because Jesus says, it's easier for a rich man. Well, I'm not rich, so has nothing to do with me. It's an amazing statement that we can make tonight that I'm not rich. Because maybe in some of the circles that we operate around here, we've convinced ourselves that we're not rich. 
If we would place our quality of life and our status of life in the whole picture of the whole world, how many would agree that we're some of the wealthiest people on the face of the earth? We could turn around and say, well, Jesus is not talking to me. Jesus is talking to every one of us. What is he saying to us? What are we trusting in? Are we trusting in our riches? Are we trusting in our stuff? Are we trusting in them more than God? Because this young guy comes and he says, God, I want to know you. How can I know you? And Jesus said, you've got to get rid of the idols of your life. You've got to get rid of the idol, that money, that thing that is hindering you, that's standing in the way. Jesus was challenging them. What are we trusting in? Challenging us. What are we trusting? And there's another guy. How many remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, the little guy. You know, the little tax collector. The guy who was the scum of the earth. He sold out his people. He, he, he went and worked for the Romans who had rule over these people. I mean, he sold out his own people. They hated him. No one liked him. He wasn't a popular guy. The story's in Luke chapter 19. He runs ahead. He climbs up a tree. Jesus comes, sees him. Jesus calls him down. says, I'm coming to your house. I'm not going to tell you the story. You should have been in Sunday school and you'd have known the story. But what was Zacchaeus' response? We just heard a man left sad because the idols in his life were so great that he wasn't willing to put them down. But look at the response that Zacchaeus had. There is no record that Jesus said one word to him except I'm coming to your house. There's no record that Jesus convicted him or condemned him and said, you are the scum, you're this, you're that, and everything. There is no word in the Word of God or no record that Jesus said anything, but Zacchaeus just said something. In Luke 19, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore it fourfold. If I have taken anything. He knew that everyone he had taken from, he had taken from falsely. He knew he had a lot of debts to settle and a lot of people to take care of. But what a different response. Why? Because there was a heart change. All of a sudden, he recognized and realized money was no longer an idol that he wanted in his life. He now had experienced something else that was greater than money. There was something greater that was standing before him. And he wanted that more than anything else. And Jesus sums it up this way in verse 19. He said, today salvation has come. I don't know what he says in 19 verse 9. Today salvation has come to this house. What happens? Zacchaeus discovered something greater than wealth. Something of more valuable or more value than money. He lost the love of money and now he had a love of God. You and I must guard our hearts because if we don't watch, our hearts will always drift towards the things of this world instead of the things of God. Think about that statement for a moment. Our hearts will always drift to the things of this world instead of the things of God. Stick a car in neutral and it will never roll uphill. Always goes down. Same with our hearts. Why? Because there's sin in our hearts and that's what's going to happen. It's the nature. We go back to that old nature. There's a statement that I've heard so many times in my life, 37 years, almost 38 years that I've lived, and at first it used to really annoy me as a kid. I really remember it. But the older I get, the more I get it. I haven't fully got it yet, but I've got it a whole lot more than I did when I first heard it. And the statement goes like this. It's what people say, the closer I get to God, the less the things of this world really matter. Have you ever heard someone say that? Stand up and say, the closer I get to God, the less... You're like looking as a kid and thinking, man, are they crazy? Because you love all those things. But then the older you get, you begin to realize, and the older and the older and the older you get, 
you begin to realize. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 says these words, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in a living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Listen to that. Don't trust in those things, the things of this world, but trust in a living God who gives us richly all things. And listen to how God gives them to us. He gives them to us so we can enjoy. Isn't that a great God? God gives us things that we can enjoy. So He doesn't only promise to provide for us, He wants us to enjoy it. And we won't find that in the world. But let's look at what He wants us to do with the riches that we have because we're rich in God. We've got so many blessings. We're so blessed. He says, let them do good that they be rich. Verse 18 and 19. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the times to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. What you and I have is more than enough. But don't let the enough, our riches, be take our focus that would distract us from pursuing. If I could just have more, if I could just have all these. Be like Zacchaeus, please, tonight, and cry out and say, you know what, at the end of the day, God, all I need is you. Don't leave sad because you want these idols in your life. You know they tell us that 21% of the church do not give a cent to the church. In America, 21% of people in church don't give a cent in any kind of offering in a church. They tell us 71% give less than 2%. Think about that. So that's 92% that are robbing God from what's already His. So that leaves 8% of the people to pick up the slack. Don't tell me that money has not become a God to us. Don't tell us that our money has not become more important to us and a greater priority than God. I'm almost finished tonight. Many can't understand how they can afford to give 10%. So, to do so, they realize they would have to completely rearrange their lives. Maybe not a bad thing for us to rearrange our lives. I would say a realignment is desperately needed if you're not given to God. You can say amen right there. Oh, oh my. You see, if you rearrange your life with God first, you release His blessing into every aspect and every part of your life. That's floodgate blessing. Jesus says, I'll open the floodgates of heaven, the windows of heaven. It takes faith to tithe. We're going to realize that over the next few services. Tithing is an act of faith. And we get more full of faith or faithful when we give. When we're more full of faith and faithful in our giving, we'll give more and we'll give more. And we'll give more. You know what paying our tithes really is saying? It's saying this. God, you're first in my life. Did you hear that? God, you're first in my life. That I place all my belief and faith in your ability to provide as I present myself as a good steward to you. Don't give God your leftovers after everything else. Here's what's left, God. Don't, don't be like some who have said, I'll give as long as it doesn't lower my standard of living. Don't give and you're automatically lowering your standard of living. David said it the best. He said, I'm not going to give God anything that hasn't cost me something. 
What's first in your life? Is it really in God you trust? Or is it in money you trust? Today are you Zacchaeus? Or are you the rich young ruler? Because really at the end of the day, we either trust in God or we don't. And so many of us have placed our trust in money, in the things of this world that is just emptiness. Come on, if you believe in God, it has to be only in Him. This message tonight is just the appetite for what's coming on Sunday. But I'm I'm telling you right now, here's the deal. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. It's either God or mammon. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.